Let us pray. Almighty God, we come now to your word. and We ask that you would teach us of your word and you would guide us into all righteousness. We ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us and you would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and a will to put these things into action. And we ask this in the precious name of Christ our Lord. Amen. It is an uncommon person who can take an honest look in the mirror and accurately assess what they see gazing back at them from that cold and impersonal pane of glass. It takes an uncommon person of courage to do that. Many times we don't like what we see in the mirror. We don't like our reflection. We run away from it. We hide from the photographer. Think of the celebrities, the high and mighty, the rich, whom so many of us admire. How many of them have unwittingly placed themselves under the unnecessary scalpel of the plastic surgeon and thereby ruined not only their face, but their reputation. And when seemingly they had the world in the palm of their hands, they were rich, they were famous, they're on the cover of magazines, and yet it wasn't enough. And it's important for us to attend to our physical appearance and care for the bodies that God's given us. Nobody would dispute that. But if that is the case, and it is the case, then how much more then is it important for us to attend to the care of our souls? That part of us that most accurately reflects the image of God. That part of us, the soul, that separates us from the brute beast in the field. That part of us that is invisible. That defies investigation from science and microscopes. You can't put your soul under a microscope. You can't see it because it reflects the invisible God. We need to attend to our souls. We need to watch how we live We need to think about these things. And when we examine our lives and the life choices that eventually make up the history of our lives, we do well to consider our course of action before jumping. What do they say? Look before you leap. Most of us have heard that so many times we don't even pay it any attention anymore because it's a cliche. Something's a cliche because it's been said over and over again. And people say things over and over again, largely for one reason. They are true. Look before you leap. Watch before you go. And if you think it's hard to look in the mirror and physically say, you know, this needs to go or this needs to change or hairline starting to recede. I'm not as young as I used to be, etc., 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 What about an examination of one's soul? The state of one's soul. The characteristic qualities of someone's lifestyle. That's much more difficult. Much more difficult, much more scary. And that's why many persons, if indeed most persons, don't do it. Including, to our shame, Christians. 
We don't look into the mirror of God's word and say, what is lacking in me? I have been placed on the scales and I have been found wanting. What needs to go in my life? What needs to be added to my life? What am I doing or not doing that is displeasing to God? How can I best honor him in my place of work? How can I best honor him in my family? How can I best honor him in the life of the church? It's very difficult, but it's something that we have to do if we would like to progress in the Christian life. And I'm going to assume that everyone would like to progress in the Christian life. But the same thing holds in the physical world. Many a teenage boy would love to look like, uh, I don't know, pick whatever athlete you want. Fail to realize that you have to run a lot of 100-yard wind sprints and spend a lot of time doing painful things to one's body in order to look like that. Very few people are born like Adonis. You have to work. You have to sweat. Some of us can keep it up for a few weeks. Some of us even for a few months. We get hurt. We make excuses. We say, well, can't go to the gym today. You're not going to be punished for not going to the gym. You're not going to be punished for not signing up for a Middlesex PCA walking club. But if one wants to look like Adonis, one had better get moving. You cannot watch TV and eat potato chips. It will not happen. The same thing goes for our souls. We have to work out spiritually. We have to start to think things through. And the battle here is much more important. God gives us each a life and one life and that is all. What will we do with this inexpressible gift? How will we live the life that God has given us? What will we do with the time that God has given us? The minutes are passing. That clock is ticking. Yesterday is gone. Tomorrow might not be here. What are you going to do for the next half hour? What will you do with your soul this day? Do you love life? Strange to hear that from a Presbyterian pulpit. Who's the author of life? Who created life? God. If he is the author of life, then he has authorized us to love life. Irrespective of the hardships therein. It's entirely rational to love life. To feel exuberant that you actually can breathe. That you can move, that you can walk. But more importantly, it's important to honor that life that God has given us and to cherish it and steward it like the gift that it truly is. You only get one chance. There is only one August 4th, 2013. The calendar will keep moving. I heard it once said that on everyone's tombstone, There are two dates and a dash. What's important is the dash. You don't have any say in your startup date. Very few of us have a real say in that due date. But the way we live that dash is very important. And we do have a choice here. We need to decide wisely. And what this text in 1 Peter is going to teach us is that what God wants us to do is to practice honor. He wants us to live nobly. He wants us to 
live with honor and live honorably even in the midst of hardship, especially in the midst of hardship, especially in the midst of those who do not believe. Honor is a word we don't hear too much about today. It's rather old-fashioned. When you hear the word honor, you probably start thinking King Arthur, or the Four Musketeers, or some Renaissance type, Ivanhoe, some type of drama like that. Think of men walking around in frilly suits and velvet gloves that hide claws. The velvet glove of a gentleman can often hide a very nasty hand. That's not what honor is. It's not a man-made code. God tells us what is honorable. And he's going to tell us today exactly what to do. God has a definitive plan for his chosen people. We need to realize that everything that occurs in our lives is falling out exactly as he has ordained. Even the troubles we undergo. It's all part of God's plan. He doesn't reveal to us every curtain of that plan. There are no accidents in this universe. Even all the tragedies and hardships of this world, they are falling out. Nothing catches God off guard. It's not as if he goes to sleep and wakes up and says, Ooh, I didn't see that one coming. Everything falls out according to his predetermined plan. We leave that in God's hands. We cannot explain it. We're not called to explain it. We're called to accept it as a fact. We serve a sovereign and absolute God. Our concern is what are our responsibilities? What are we to do? What are we to believe? How does he want us to move in the midst of all of this hardship? What does a Christian have to say about the nasty condition of the world? Well, sadly, most Christians don't have very much to say because of the state of our souls. Very few churches in America, I hate to say, are making a great bit of difference in our culture. Why? We must be thinking or doing something wrong. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe this is exactly how God wants it. Maybe things are going to get worse and the herd will be culled. God has a tendency to do that. What will we do with this life? More importantly, what does God tell us to do with that life? God's not going to leave you to your own devices. That'd be a disastrous question. What do you want to do with your life? <laughs> All kinds of crazy answers have come from people with that one. What do you want to do with your life? I want to be a rock star. Really? Ooh-ah, have fun with that one. I want to be a secret agent. Okay, well, forget about being real happy. When I was a social worker, I had one boy who was enamored, absolutely enamored with the military. Perfectly fine. Heart set on being a Navy SEAL. I introduced him to a friend of mine who was in the Special Forces. He says, okay, that's great. You better start running. You better learn to love being absolutely miserable. Because that's what we do. We sleep in the craziest of places. Bugs are over us. Snakes are around us. People shoot at us. It's not Hollywood. It's not always fun. He goes, as a matter of fact, it hardly ever is fun. 
If you want to do that, go for it. But be realistic. It doesn't matter what you want to do with your life because it's not yours. It's God's. The question to ask is what does God want us to do with our lives? And what he wants us to do is to practice an honorable lifestyle that glorifies him. Now, the problem here is that that's not going to be easy. (laughs) Honor is out of style. Nobility is out of style. Everything is being degraded as we speak. There are certain sectors of our society where if one speaks in complete English sentences, one is viewed as a sellout. There are whole sectors of our society where if one likes to dress um, not even fancily, just modestly, appropriately, one is viewed as a complete sellout. That attitude is infiltrating the church. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be honorable. We live in a society that tells us that morals and ethics don't matter. That honor and nobility are they're, they're cliches from a bygone era. Save that for Shakespeare. We don't want any of that. We live in a dog-eat-dog world. We have to crawl our way to the top. Step on whoever we can. It's not the Christian way. It's not what God wants from us. God has ordained our status as pilgrims and sojourners. And what these two little verses tell us, and they are filled with meaning, is that we have to fight an internal war against our own temptations, and we have to fight an external war, these are spiritual wars, as we live and move amongst unbelievers. And this will tell us not only what we have to do, but it will give us the tactics as well. This is where we get in trouble. Most of us, generally speaking, know what God wants us to do. Our tactics very often go askew. God says, here's what I want you to do. And by the way, this is how I want you to do it. And we say, okay, I'll go with 1A, but I think I have a better way to get this accomplished. And we do that, and we realize that God actually did know what he was talking about. We have to live honorably. We have to fight this battle with his tactics. Those tactics may not be what we like, but there it is. I beseech you, brother, beloved, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. These Gentiles mock, these Gentiles accuse Christians of being evildoers. But the way God wants it to work out is that the honor of our life and our good conduct shames them. That when push comes to shove, they have nothing to accuse us of. See, what's happened is, sadly, when unbelievers say X, Y, and Z about Christians, some of the time, maybe 50% of the time, they just might be right. You might not believe this, but you're not allowed to be obnoxious. You can have opinions, but you're not allowed to be mean to unbelievers. You have to tell them what is true. You have to call a spade a spade, a heart a heart, a diamond a diamond. But you don't have to be obnoxious. You're actually not allowed to be obnoxious. You can have opinions. You don't have to be mean about it. 
And very often, the best way to convince someone of the truth of Christianity is simply by living an honorable life. That's what worked for the early church, and it has to work for us. Well, what does this text require that we believe? Well, first, that he's ordained our status as pilgrims, sojourners, and aliens. If this world feels as if it's not your home, if you do feel like an alien, then that's probably a good sign. That tells us that you're not in love with the world. It tells us that you understand that this world is not your home. We're not going to float around in heaven. You're not going to get wings. It drives me nuts when people say, well, he's an angel now. No, he's not an angel. Angels are angels. Men are men. Women are women. Never the twain shall meet. Christ didn't die for angels. Christ died for men and women. We are going to inhabit the recreated earth. Hmm? That's when the world will be our home. When the gospel writers use the term world, they're not talking about the physical world. They're talking about the culture. The evil that's around us. The general tenor of the way people live. We also have to realize, and this one's going to hurt, that God has ordained this battle that rages within us. Do you have temptations that bother you? You don't have to hide your eyes. I know you do. I do too. You have battles that you fight that you seem to lose a lot. Don't worry, we all do. Well, if they're really important battles and you keep losing, maybe you should worry. But it's a common affliction, believe you me. Each of us has our own temptations. No fall with under those Ten Commandments, so there's a limited range of them. You don't have to worry that yours is so unique that nobody else is doing it or has done it. Believe you me, sin is pretty common, and most of the popular sins are very common. They're platinum-selling CDs, almost. Everybody's buying them. Everybody's got them. Stealing. That's a good one. A lot of people are doing it. It's popular. Our speech patterns. Ooh, ouch. Everybody has a problem there. Everybody. I'm convinced that if we really put all of our words under the microscope of God's law that we could probably safely say that probably 50% of the things that most of us say could probably be classified as sin. 50%. You might say, well, maybe I'm at 40. If you're at 40, you are absolutely elite. Because we all gossip a little. We all use unnecessary words. And sometimes we speak in our minds and those are our thoughts. Our, our thoughts, well, our thoughts go very, very, very astray. But this is an honorable battle here. It's a battle for self-control. And our society doesn't value self-control anymore. It used to be that that was something that was taught, that was drilled into young people at school. Literally drilled into them. Self-control. Because self-control leads to self-respect. Is there a part of your life, spiritually, that is out of control? Think about it. When you perform that sin, because that's what it is, you're performing for somebody, somebody's watching. Does that sin make you feel good? Forget about self-esteem. It's really about self-respect. An honorable lifestyle is not really a matter of saying, well, I can't do that. It's a matter of, I don't have to do that. That's beneath me. 
That's below me. That is subhuman conduct. That is sub-Christian conduct. God has redeemed me. I don't have to do that anymore. It's a hard battle. What did Jesus say today? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You think Peter, when he was writing this, might have, I'm certain, that those words of Christ echoed in Peter's brain for a whole life. Because it was written in the Gospels. You couldn't even wake up with him for one hour. And he went and died. You couldn't do it for one hour. Peter understood all too well the fleshly lusts. Because he really liked being popular. He really was rather timid at times. He understood all too well what it meant to forsake the God who created him. You also have to believe that you're God's beloved people. Peter calls us beloved. Who does Peter call us beloved? What authority does he have for that? This is a hard one for a lot of us. Do you believe that God loves you? I'm just going to say that right out. Do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe that God loves you? That you are beloved? That you are cherished? He sent his son to die for you. If that doesn't tell you that he loves you, you need to stop and think it through. Too many of us, even as we're Christians, just think of God as a God with a hammer, ready to smash us. Brothers and sisters, he's already smashed his son. He smashed him to bits because he loved you. Because he loved you. And that's a position of strength. That's a position that helps us to wage this war a little bit more honorably if we know that he's on our side. Believe it or not, God does want you to overcome your sins and your fleshly passions. He does. He really does. Because it brings glory to his name. He knows what's best for us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God desires your soul's health? Do you believe that God is a good parent? A good parent cares for their children. Even when they have to discipline the child, the goal is the care of the child, not the harm of the child. Do you believe that God is an excellent parent? Perfectly loving Father. Then everything that comes across your plate, whether you ordered it from the menu or not, is set for His glory and your good. It may not be hard. It may not be fun. But it's going to work out. He loves you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the commands of God, I really want you to listen to this, that the commands of God are like love letters to you? The commands of God are like love letters to his church. He tells us exactly what is good and exactly what is evil. That's love. He forbids that which he knows will destroy us and he commands that which will make us strong. He forbids that which draws us away from him and he commands that which draws us close to him. That's love. The commandments of God are wise. God shows us his love through his commands. 
He doesn't want us to live willy-nilly. He wants us to know exactly what to do. Exactly how to do it. And we know that through his commands. His commands reveal to us what is good for us. Children often don't like what they food that's placed in front of them. I want Twinkies. I want Yodels. I used to like funny bones when I was a boy. They're kind of like a Yodel with peanut butter in them. I don't want shredded wheat. I want Captain Crunch. I don't want eggs. I want syrup. I don't care about the pancakes. I just want the syrup. God doesn't do that. If we need castor oil, he's going to give us castor oil. The sweetness of it, though, he's going to mix it up with a spoonful of sugar, helps the castor oil go down. If you don't know what castor oil is, believe me, it's nasty stuff. The sweetness of it is that we know, we know that God is doing it for our good. That he's not trying to harm us. We have to change our thinking this way. We serve an honorable God. He wants us to live honorably and he tells us exactly how to do it. That battle that rages within us is hard, but it's a real problem when we realize that we have a fight with unbelievers as well. And that is why we're supposed to abstain from these fleshly desires. The text requires from us certain duties. And the first one is right there. Abstain from fleshly desires that what? War against your soul. Which war? That, that, those two words, which war? They mean literally to serve in the army. These, these fleshly passions that attack us, they're serving in an army and they're waging war against our souls. That's why I said in the beginning of the sermon, we need to attend to the care of our souls. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. Your bodies, some of your bodies are growing young, stronger, but most of us, our bodies are getting a little weaker. Flower of youth is faded and older years are upon us and even older ones are ahead. But the soul, the soul should grow, as your body ages, your soul should grow stronger and stronger. Something beautiful about someone in their 90s whose body is racked by pain, but whose faith is absolutely intact. That's a powerful testimony. That's a powerful testimony when someone is knocking on death's door but their eyes are filled with the faith of God. That's a powerful testimony. The body grows weak. The soul gets stronger and stronger. It's an even more amazing testimony when they say, and I've heard it from some of your family and friends, I don't want this body anymore. I want to go home and be with the Lord. That's powerful stuff. First time you hear that as a pastor, I promise you it just shakes you. You want to die? You want to get out of here? Wow. Your faith is really that rock solid. That's a powerful testimony. We have to abstain from these things. If you swim in the sewer, don't be surprised when you need to take a bath. If you swim in the sewer, don't be surprised that you get out and you stink. It's not the honorable way to live. 
God knows what's best for us. We are pilgrims. We are sojourners. And the whole point of this is that we practice this honorable lifestyle so that on the day of visitation, and that can either mean one of two things, either Christ's second coming or a temporary deliverance from our trials, that the unbelievers who are mocking us, the unbelievers who are calling us names, calling us evil, that they will see our good works, the text tells us, and glorify God. The reason why God wants us to practice an honorable lifestyle is that it brings him glory. And whether we like it or not, suffering unjustly for the name of Christ, that's something he demands of a lot of us. What does Paul say? All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall be persecuted. We're Americans. Maybe they'll just laugh at us. Maybe they won't invite us to a party. Other of our brothers and sisters, they lose their jobs. Other of our brothers and sisters, they lose their limbs. Other of our brothers and sisters, they might lose their life. But it's still persecution nonetheless. And the weapons that God has given us is an honorable lifestyle that's an obedience to his commands. Not an obnoxious lifestyle that attacks. I told you about Polycarp last week. Let me tell you about a, someone different. Polycarp was a leader in the church. I'd like to tell you about Blandina. 155 to 177. A slave girl. You realize that you're related to slaves? The early church, a lot of them were slaves. They didn't have any rights. This girl was beaten. Like, like all slaves were beaten. When she became a Christian... She was persecuted, brought to the Colosseum, tortured on the rack, brought out and asked to declare Caesar and to renounce Christ. And she said, with everybody else, I am a Christian. Are you godless? The charge against the early church was that they were atheists because they wouldn't burn that little bit of incense to Caesar. Godless. No, we're not godless. I am a Christian. Retire to this stake. They bring out the wild beasts. You know what happens the first time? The beasts leave her alone. There's eyewitnesses to this. Her compatriots are torn to shreds and they leave her alone. Soldiers don't have any idea what to do with this girl. All right, we'll bring her back for another session. Bring her out the next day. Same thing happens. As one eyewitness said, I wrote it down because it's so touching. She looked as if she were invited to a wedding feast, not thrown to the beasts. The beasts eventually got her because the soldiers grew so frustrated with her testimony. They got so frustrated with her resilience that they stabbed her with a sword, threw a net over her, tossed her to a bull who then just destroyed her. They were frustrated by how well she suffered. If you impress a Roman soldier like that, and the Roman soldiers who were in charge of the Colosseum, they weren't exactly the classiest guys. They weren't legionnaires. That was... That was Yucky, dirty detail. They were prison guards. You know, there's nothing really honorable about tossing a slave girl to the beast. There's no honor in that. 
You're not fighting for the Republic or the Empire. You're a torturer. You're a Gestapo. She lived with honor. And may God give us the grace to choose wisely as well. Hopefully we won't be thrown to the beasts. But we will suffer in this world. And we have a decision to make. Will we live an honorable lifestyle that brings glory to God or will we not? Choose wisely. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, help us to live in a manner which fits the name Christian and help us to abstain from that which was wars against our soul. In Christ's name, Amen.